All right. Bless God for the Lord in prayer again. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us to hear from your word that you have recorded for us in the scriptures, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the interpreter, the illuminator of all things Christ. We pray that he shed his light for the sake of your people, that they may hear from him and have their hope founded on the truth of God and not in the wisdom of men. We thank you for the revelation of Christ. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the hour. May you help us to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are back to First Samuel 17. And we are going to be beginning from verse 28 to 51. Verse 28 to 51 says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, had when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant, who go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamp from its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, Moreover David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine, and Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. 
And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you and take your head from you. And this day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. That's the word of the Lord. We have two titles for our message. A sling and a stone. <laughs> a sling and a stone. Number two, the simplicity of Christ. The simplicity of Christ. Just reading the story, you would not think that there's a lot of salvation teaching in that. That's what God meant by it. And he will help us to see what he meant from our message. So God has been building for us the gospel narrative from the story of David, Israel, and the Philistines. And right there we have the matter of salvation as God would have us to understand it that all matters of sin and salvation from it are in representation and union. They are determined by union with someone. They are determined by you being represented by someone. And in our story, David comes to represent the people of Israel, his people. and in union with them, as Goliath came representing the Philistines and in union with them. And the relationship between these two camps, these two opposing camps, is going to be defined only, see that only, it's only going to be defined by what happens in the fight between Israel's representative 
and the Philistines' representative. And this matter is decided only, again, another only, by or in the death of one of the representatives. Okay? And in the death of one of the representatives, two things are going to happen. Salvation, freedom for the one camp and servitude to the other camp, to the losing camp. And this is a fight only of able men, not of weak and sinful men born in Adam like you and me. You are disqualified from this fight by virtue of your birth certificate. <laughs> born in Adam. So you cannot fight to cause your own salvation. Sin has weakened and taken us down all who are in Adam and has thus disqualified us from being able to go into the ring to fight and cause our own redemption. But the law is a very able man. The law is able to fight. It will cast everyone to death who does not continue to do or continue in all things that are written in it to do them. Not to just talk about them, but to do them. And Christ, as represented in David, is an even more able man to do what the law could not do to perfect sinners with his one offering of himself, with his own obedience, even to the point of death on the cross. Christ, a very able man, is more able than the law itself because he did what the law could not do. So if we should tell the story of Christ correctly, we have to emphasize his ability and perfection and completeness of the work that he did as the representative. The work already happened. The fight was already scheduled. It happened 2,000 years ago. Okay? So what we are declaring is what happened with the fight. <laughs> did he win the title or did he lose? So when Christ showed up 2,000 years ago, he came in union with all the elect of all time. Because in him alone was the matter of salvation to be settled and was settled. It is not a matter yet to be settled. Tenses are very important in how we communicate the gospel. It is already settled. In the past, the fight already happened. We know the results. Anyone then who conditions any part of salvation to anything that 
you do or did not do or is done in them does not understand the matter as we shall soon discover in our text of consideration. But before we go to Madison Square Garden where this <laughs> to witness the fight that determined the salvation of Israel from the power of the Philistines. But the matter of the Philistines is not limited to the Philistines. Whenever Israel is battling with the Ammonites, it's still the same testimony. God is going to raise some able men to fight those enemies. But in this context is David. But whenever this happens, there has to be conversation about the qualifications of those who who participate in the fight. Because it is one of a kind fight. It's more than the pay-per-view type fight. <laughs> one of a kind. In all of eternity. So with Goliath, we learned that he was a champion. A warrior, a real marine a giant, fearsome, armed to the teeth, impenetrable, and had the latest technology of the day in terms of weaponry. And it is this Goliath who preached to us the matter of man, of the man who must come and fight him in the terms of the fight. So the fight has terms to it. It has rules of engagement. Goliath said in verse 8 of First Samuel 17, Why have you come out to line up for battle? And by that he's saying, You should not have come up if you understood anything about fighting for salvation. You should have stayed at home. Why are you trying to do something that you can't do? Why are you trying to save yourself? You can't do it. Stay at home. Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Servants of Saul under the law. Choose a man for yourselves and stay at home. <laughs> Choose a man and send him my way and let him come down to me by himself. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then will be your servants. See, Goliath is setting the terms of the fight. It's God who's speaking through Goliath, telling us the terms of the fight that is to happen and who is qualified to go into battle with Goliath. And he says, but if I, if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and servers. You shall be condemned forever under the Philistines. That's what he's saying. If Christ fails as your representative, it's over for you. Because he is the best man that you have. And you shall forever be condemned. And the Philistines said, verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man 
that we may fight together. Just give me a man. <laughs> a representative man must be chosen. That is election. And you did not choose the representative man. No one chooses Jesus to be the representative man. The representative man is given you by God. Christ was given you to be your representative man to go to the fight. You did not know how to fight. So David is God's chosen man to go and fight. And Christ, the elect one of God, according to Isaiah, Christ is the elect one of God, chosen the righteous servant who must come down to Goliath. Goliath says, he must come down to me. And that means Christ must come down to the place where the fight of our salvation must happen, and that is this world, on this earth. Galatians 4, 3 to 5 says, Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Israel was in bondage to sin, because they were under the law. They were in bondage to the law to the elements of the world. Don't do this. Don't touch. Do not smell. Do not hang out with those who do. And that was all represented in Goliath. Goliath is representing a whole lot of things. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son as Jesse sent forth his son David to go check on the welfare of his brothers and to report back to him. But this David was not loved of his brethren. They despised him for no good reason. They scolded him. And we got that testimony from the eldest brother, Eliab, who took David to task and was accusing him of pride and arrogance. And yet it is this David who was God's man to deliver them from the evils of the Philistines. This despised man, this David, the youngest of the eight boys of Jesse, is he who was appointed of God to deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. This David must come from the father, Sent by the Father. Sent to a particular people. Called thy brethren. Sent with food. To feed them. And to fight for them. So David was no ordinary person. He seemed to have been a man of the sheep. Always heading his father's flock. Always taking care of his father's flock. Though a few, 
a remnant according to grace and yet faithful to that remnant. Christ is faithful to his remnant people given him by the Father. And yet David was a valiant man, a man of skill, great skill. As we're going to see with Goliath, he was a man of war, fearless. But his power was unknown to the brothers. As the Jews did not understand the power of Christ, the Jews, according to the flesh, are the brothers of Christ. They despised him as a little youth. They said, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say you saw Abraham? And they said of him, you cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And they're saying that to the creator, to God. The one who sustained their very words that they were speaking against him. That's the depth of human depravity. And we say, all that was captured in the condescension of Christ, the humiliation of Christ. Because this is God in the flesh, being humiliated by his own creation. Christ the Logos, according to John 1, the beginning of John chapter 1, he is the Logos, he is the very word of God. Tabernacling in human flesh, that's John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Being made for a little while, lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, to accomplish, to obtain an eternal salvation of his people. That's what happened when the Christ came in his humiliation. He took up human flesh for a particular purpose that he may suffer death in the fight to redeem his people from death. So 1 Samuel 17, 28, we hear this from the mouth of Eliab. It says, now Eliab, his oldest brother, we had when he spoke to the man and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Eliab stood for the testimony of the law and of Israel towards Christ. Eliab was rejected by God to rule over God's people. You know that from last week. But Samuel was going to pick out a successor to Saul. And Eliab, the eldest of Jesse's sons, came tall and some. And God says, no, I have rejected him to rule over my people. So God has rejected Saul. He has rejected Eliab. And Saul has been rejected because he had failed to follow God's instruction to destroy the Ammonites 
and take nothing from them. Just completely destroy them. Make an end of their memory. Saul did not do that. Then God says, oh, I rejected you. And what is that saying? It's saying the Lord does not work obedience in God's people. Despite its goodness and beauty as represented in both Saul and Eliab, who were tall and handsome, very attractive men to the people of Israel, and yet rejected of God. The law makes for very stubborn sinners because it increases the transgression. It makes sin more sinful. A matter that is yet to be understood by many professing Christians. They are attracted to the law. They are attracted to the likes of what is his name? The son of Saul of David. Absalom. Handsome man. Very handsome. Very brutal. In one. The law, good, commandment, righteous, and holy. But it is the letter that kills. It is the ministry of death and condemnation. It kills you. Because you're a sinner. That's what the law is given to do. It's given to kill sinners. And condemn them. By its goodness. So God has his own man, his own king to rule over his people to succeed Saul. God has his own man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to succeed the law of Moses, the old covenant of the law, the man to do the will of the father who always pleased him unlike Saul. Saul did not please God. But the man who pleased God, the man after God's own heart, is David. In spite of his shenanigans, still loved of God. And that representing Christ, who said in John 8, 29, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please him. So was left alone. But the Spirit came out of him. The Spirit of God came out of Saul. He was left alone. Christ says, I am not like Saul. I am David. The Spirit, my Father, is with me. He has not left me alone. Why? Because I always do those things that please him. I always, always. That's a huge claim to make. I could not say that. Even to Ella, another sin. I could not say to her, I always do the things that please Ella. But Christ says, I always do the things that please my Father. He always did the will of the Father. He always pleased the Father. And all those who are in him and are of him always please the Father. And they have already done the will of the Father in their representative man, Christ Jesus. All those who are in Christ have already done the will of the Father because the Father looks at them in the one who represented them. That's the connection. 
So when Christ was doing the will of the Father, guess what? All those who are in him and are of him also were doing the will of the Father. So Christ pleased the Father and we please the Father because of him. And if Saul is to be succeeded by David, it means the old covenant must also be succeeded by the new one has to be retired. They both cannot stand. David and Saul cannot both be kings of Israel. One has to be retired. So the law was passing away for the better covenant, for the better king, with the better promises, better sacrifice, better covenant, better everything. So God found fault with Saul. And so he had to bring another. And for this testimony, Hebrews 8, 7 to 9. Speaking of the law, the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 8, 7 to 9, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. If Saul had been a good king, then there would not have been need for David. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will bring a new king. The days are coming when I will bring a new king for the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I met with the fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant. That's the covenant of Mount Sinai. They did not continue in it. So the new covenant is unlike the old covenant. They're not the same. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. In that he says, a new covenant, verse 18, let's skip to verse 18, still in Hebrews 8. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first absolute. Now what is becoming absolute and growing old is ready to vanish away. At some point, some preacher has to say the old covenant has vanished away. But they'll go to their creeds and confessions of faith and say, but the Westminster Confession says, I don't care what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. Verse 13 says, it's old. It's vanishing away. It's absolute. Absolute equipment is not good for the job anymore. It doesn't work. There are no spare, spare parts for it. <laughs> Verse 29 of First Samuel 17. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? A cause for me to come down to the battlefield. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So there, there was a cause for the arrival of David 
at the battle scene, it was more than just curiosity. He was not coming to be a spectator of the battle. He was not coming to take a selfie at the battle. He wasn't coming on vacation. Christ did not come to the world to check out the Middle East, to see if there was any more oil there. There was cause for the incarnation of Christ. There was purpose. He had work to do. And we cannot trivialize his work just as to make peace with lies. This is a serious matter. The cause was for him to die, to redeem, to justify, to bring a blameless people to the Father, to clean up a dirty people. That's what he came to do, to wash us clean, to pronounce us as clean before God. That's what he came to do, and that's what he accomplished. Verse 31, now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. So when the people heard all those words by David, they reported them to the king to say, there is a young man here who is uttering all manner of things, even saying that he is able to take down Saul. To take down Goliath, I meant. Please hear him for yourself. You have to hear. Oh, king, you have to hear this young man. But why should Saul hear David? Because God is developing his gospel typology. Remember, there's a payout to anyone who fights and kills Goliath. There is the king's daughter to be given out or given away as a prize to the man who kills Goliath. So we have two types of God the Father in this story. We have Jesse, the father of David, who was old at the time, and is Jesse who has the son who has to go and fight. And we have saw himself as a king because it is he who has a daughter to give to whomever would defeat and kill Goliath. So we have two types of God the Father right there. God is not going to put everything in one person because there's not a single person who is able to bear the full testimony of who God is. So God has to split it among different people. And so the narrative of the mission of Christ is developed some more with David going and meeting with Saul. Let us hear verse 32. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant, who go and fight with this Philistine. David said to the king, your servant, who go and fight with this Philistine. David is the servant of Saul. And he willingly offered himself to go and fight this Philistine. Christ willingly offered himself to go or come and cause our salvation. It was not imposed on him. It wasn't forced him to come. 
And David said, let no man's heart be afraid for me or for themselves. Don't be afraid for me. Even Jesus said that. Don't be crying for me. Cry for yourself. I am very much of my own able to take him down. He had that God-given confidence that he would accomplish this task, no matter the challenges. And that is Christ saying to the Father, I will go and accomplish salvation for my people from sin, death, and condemnation. And I will not need help from Moses. Christ did not get help from Moses to cause our salvation. And those that are his people should not be afraid of sin, should not be afraid of death, not be afraid of condemnation. He has taken it upon himself to deal with the matter, and he did deal with the matter to God's satisfaction. So in David, Israel was more than a conqueror, even though they were afraid. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. That's Romans 8. But as the Lord... Let me... I went one sentence ahead of myself. Sin causes us to doubt our salvation and be fearful. Be thinking, man, I am that bad. Could I be saved? Well, you would not need to be saved if you are not bad. <laughs> but as the Lord spoke through David, he said to his people, let not your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Your sin cannot condemn you. Though its stature and threatenings may be that of Goliath, the terrors that it causes, he says, no, don't be afraid. Because I have dealt with it. He made an end to the purification of sin. And its condemnation. The removal of the condemnation of its guilt. And perfected us forever before God. We are blameless. Because he did it. That's the only way you are ever going to find comfort. Because even if you have overcome this sin today, or next month, guess what? Another one is showing up. So when are you going to actually come to the point that you're saved? You're going to have to move away from yourself. You have to go back to the transaction. You have to go to the fight. And you have to choose from your understanding of the fight. Are you with David? Or are you still going to live in the testimony of Goliath? The more that you understand the matter of what David did, that has to be your confidence. That has to be your hope, what Christ already accomplished. Otherwise, your sin by itself will never give you any, any hope or peace. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. 
So Saul looks to David and makes judgment of David's ability to fight and says, no, you are not fit for this task. This is a humongous task. You are just but a youth with baby milk still dripping from your nose. <laughs> In contrast, see Goliath. He is a man of war from his youth. And this conversation was there not to minimize the person of Christ or the person of David, but to magnify, to ask the seriousness, the seriousness of what he had to face or what was before you and I. For Christ, the seriousness of it was the death of the cross because that's where the actual fight was going to happen in the fullness of time. Fighting with Goliath was the cup that awaited the Son of God to drink it to be baptized in it. So sin has been a man of war from the very beginning. From its inception, sin has been a man of war and it kills anyone who thinks they can fight it with their own power. And no ordinary person born in Adam, should think they can go to war with sin and come out victorious by themselves, making resolutions to fight better, fight harder, fight longer, pray longer. You're not going to win. It has been a man of war from its youth. <laughs> and so was right on Goliath, on Goliath was right to say that. A man of war from his youth. But he was wrong on David. Because the youthfulness of David was not of a lack of power or ability to fight. It was his own impressions. But speaking mainly to how people were to look at Jesus with disdain, with a contemptuous attitude to say, this son of Joseph, this son of Mary, this carpenter is claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to cause salvation. He's claiming to forgive sins. How can this 20-something-year-old guy claim to forgive sins? Your many sins are forgiven you. Who are you? So that's the attitude that this is anticipating. And sometimes it does happen too. Some old preachers, they reason like so. When they see a young preacher, thinking that they have seen it all, or they've read everything there is to read in the Bible. They're like, oh, I've never heard all of that. I'm like, who are you? You're not God. God is the one who opens the understanding. God works his power through seemingly youthful and weak things. 
His power is made perfect in weakness. Okay, verse 34 to 36. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Lots of things have been said here by David. After Saul had expressed his misapprehensions about David's ability to fight against Goliath, David then told him of his qualifications and experience. He said, I am not new at this as you suppose. I used to keep my father's sheep. And when I did, I lost not one. Sounds like the Lord in John 10 and John 17. None can snatch those that my father gave to me. No one can snatch them out of my hands. That's the language of the shepherd. And in the Old Testament, there was no greater picture of a good shepherd than David. So Christ, the son of David, is making reference to that. None can, is able to snatch not a single one from my hands. And if you want, not even from my father's hands. Because I am the good shepherd. So David is saying, I am the good shepherd. Not a bear, not a lion could take any of his lamps. When I was heading my grandfather's cattle and goats, I lost a number to leopards, leopards roaming in my area. And baboons took a lot of the little goats. I tried to be a good shepherd. <laughs> but somehow, I was tricked. I was overpowered. But not with David. And not with Christ. So when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, even the most vulnerable from the flock that could not fight back, is very purposeful, a lamb. Maybe two weeks old. I did not fall down my hands and cried and had a pity party for myself. I went after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. Pay attention to the order of salvation. There's an order of salvation in that statement. The lamb is taken by a lion or bear. David sees it. And he goes after the lion and he delivers the lamb. In the matter of salvation, the sheep had been taken in the mouth of sin, death, and condemnation. Christ saw, saw it. He came down in pursuit of the lion and the bear for the purpose of delivering his sheep from condemnation. Christ Jesus delivered his sheep. From the jaws of condemnation. That means redemption and justification. 
And that is the gospel declaration. Not that he will deliver you from the jaws if you come to him. Justify them later. No. The very death on the cross was Christ Jesus delivering his ship from the mouth of the lion and the bear. That's where you were before the cross. You were in the mouth of the lion and the bear and the hyenas. <laughs> if the redeemed are not justified, then they are still in the mouth of the lion and the bear. Those are the only two options. You're either in the mouth or you're out. But David said he delivered every one of his lambs from their jaws. None was lost. But in the process of accomplishing that delivery of his sheep, if the lion and bear would try to come and eat him, the shepherd, he said, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. He killed whatever was trying to kill him. So the law had reason against the Lord because of his ship. People don't understand this about the law. The law was after Christ. That is why the chief priests were after Jesus because they represented the law. The chief priests were the mediators of the law. They were after him. And they were after him because of his ship. So death had reason against the Lord because of his ship. Condemnation had reason against the Lord because of his ship. But like David, he grabbed them by the beard and killed them. In other words, he brought an end to all these things that testified against you before God. That's the killing. It's not a physical killing by Jesus. It's saying bringing to an end and removing the power of condemnation that your sin has. The power of condemnation that is in the law. So we hear from Paul that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It dead ends at Christ. It has no more claim on you. The law cannot have a claim on you. Christ is the end. He brought an end to it. Christ who became sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. And he became a curse for us as it is written in Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So Christ is all those things and has done all those things. If Christ appears to bear toward the lion and the bear, he has to go home with a lamb in his hands. Salvation has to happen. That's what David is saying. It is not a potential salvation that Christ accomplished but a total deliverance, a complete justification. Verse 37 of 1 Samuel 17. 
Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So from the lesser to the greater, David said, just as I wrestled and killed lions and bears, the same I'll do to this uncircumcised Philistine. Goliath and the Philistines have defied the armies of the living God. But my victory is certain because the same Lord who delivered me from the lion paw and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. In other words, the God who delivered you from the seemingly smallest of battles, skirmishes that have happened in your life, is the same God who has delivered you from the hand of the very big enemies. Sin, death, and condemnation. God alone delivers. There's none else who delivers. Not from anything. God alone delivers. There's no judge who delivers anyone here. There's no president who signs a decree to deliver anybody. God alone is a deliverer. God alone is salvation. Whatever the context. And in any situation in life, God is he who comes and delivers us in the seasons that we think we have been overwhelmed by our enemies. We have a lot of enemies. Or find ourselves in the jaws or in someone's jaws. Or if people want to eat you, they'll fit you into their jaws. <laughs> they can fit you into their little jaws to try and destroy you. But God will deliver faithfully, always. And so I say to David, go and the Lord be with you. And that is a blessing to David, a blessing to Christ, the son of David, by God himself. To say the mission of Christ was blessed of God. Yeah. The mission of Christ was blessed of God. That's why in the book of John especially, the Lord uses the language of the Father who sent me. He who sent me. I do the will of him who sent me. It was a blessed mission. And there was a will to be accomplished. And he accomplished that will. Our deliverance from the jaws of sin. Verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. Saul then clothed David with his own armor to red him for battle just as Goliath was clothed. Let's see if David agreed with those clothes. Verse 39. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. David put on the armor and tried to walk in them. But they were not agreeable with him. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. 
And that's the rejection of Saul's gospel. I cannot walk in your version of the gospel. David could not walk in them because they were too heavy and would spell defeat for him. What is that saying? I believe two things. Second Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Warring with the armor of Saul was a picture of warring according to the flesh. In other words, to seek victory over sin and death by way of our own instruments. By way of our own obedience, our own law-keeping, by way of our own resolutions, especially given to us by other people. I was reading this book. You have to read it. It's powerful. It's changed my life. <laughs> Those kind of instruments. That's not how to war. And a lot of people are making a lot of money with those kinds of instruments for you to fight sin with. Source weapons were carnal, they were fleshly weapons. But the weapons of the redeemed are not carnal, they're not fleshly. They're mighty in God. They're mighty in Christ. For pulling down strongholds Essentially to say it's God who pulls them down, casting down arguments by the knowledge of the truth. Because everybody's making arguments about salvation, about God, about everything. The only way you can cast down the arguments is by the truth. You don't always have to fight them. But knowing the truth, you're just going to not settle with it. And every high thing or lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And much or many of these high things and arguments are coming from the pulpits, from the pulpiteers, from Oprah's pulpit, <laughs> and a whole lot of other people like it. And they are raising high things to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Christ is not the only way of salvation. There has to be another way. What if I'm just a wonderful person? Just a nice person who loves other people. What has God anything to say to that? <laughs> God is going to say what? Depart from me. I never knew you, you lawless ones. Our salvation was not accomplished through fleshly means. There's a point that God is driving through David in the testimony of Saul. Our salvation was not 
or was not to be accomplished through fleshly means. It was a spiritual battle. Because the warfare is a spiritual battle. It has always been spiritual. And Christ alone could go to war and win this battle the way that is supposed to be won. So believers do not walk according to the law. They do not walk under the law. They do not walk carrying the armor given them by Saul. It is too heavy. David, a strong young man, a warrior. David was very strong. You go and read the exploits of David when he went to war. He was a mighty man of war. He was a very strong guy. And he says, oh, this thing is too heavy for me, dude. <laughs> it's too, too heavy. And so he took it off. And we tell people to take off their heavy armor by which they claim to be fighting and conquering sin and evil. People have all kinds of armor. And unless God shows them that they have the wrong armor on, they'll keep dragging it with them, heavy. And you can tell, you can tell people, religious people, who are dragging a lot of heavy stuff. They have the wrong armor on. I'm telling you, Sister Deborah knows what I'm talking about. She actually has some people in her mind. (laughs) They're dragging heavy armor given them by Saul. And Goliath is going to slaughter them. Secondly, to the point of why David refused the armor that was given him by Saul was in reference to the simplicity of Christ, the simplicity of the gospel. And I'll pack it here and connect it later in the message because it's a point that God is going to develop a little bit more in this testimony. Let's go to verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. David took his shepherd's staff and he went and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. This is something that I have first-hand experience of because growing up as a headsman, we crafted our own shepherd's bag or bags to put a lot of smooth stones and a sling and sometimes food and squirrels, if they happened to fall victim <laughs> that we handed. <laughs> you could find some stones in there, sling, couple of squirrels, dead ones. <laughs> A multi-purpose bag. And the best place to find smooth stones is by the river basin or the riverbed where the rocks have been polished by constant friction. 
and are clean. Those rocks are always smooth and clean. Very smooth. No imperfections in them. Clean, washed by the constant flow of water. And these are they that David went and got. And he put them in his shepherd's bag. And those rocks that are smooth and clean are a picture of Christ. In whom there was no sin, no imperfection. They were put in the shepherd's bag, which means the shepherd's bag and the stones that are in it. The stone is representing Christ. We're going to get to that, but I have to say it here. It represents Christ. And the stone is hidden in the shepherd's bag. That's the incarnation of Christ. And it is from this shepherd's bag that the stone of offense that knocks down Goliath comes out of. So the shepherd's bag is representing the humanity of Christ, the rock, smooth rock, righteousness, righteous Christ who is hidden in it. And David says, these are my weapons of all. And by this, David will slew Goliath. Verse 31. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. So Goliath had his helper to carry his shield for him, and he began drawing near to David to size him up and to throw some obscenities, like wrestlers or boxers do before a fight. Like, come here, boy. You look funny. <laughs> and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, that's verse 42, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So that was Goliath's first impression of David, contemptuous attitude towards him. Pretty boy, good-looking, youthful. What are you going to do to me? And that testimony was necessary because it was tying in to the humility of Christ. Except that Jesus was not as good looking in the flesh as David was, according to Isaiah 53. Jesus was not good looking. Isaiah 53 says this, so you can go with me. From verse 1, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So Christ Jesus is the arm of the Lord, and he has to be revealed to a person. You just don't decide to know Jesus. For this is the reason why he has to be revealed. Verse 2, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, very vulnerable, looking like he can't do anything. And as a root out of dry ground, like 
a desert tree. It's not going to be like a maple tree. It's going to be a very small tree. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So that is how, or that's how Christ looked like. He was not a physically attractive person by God's design. Because if he is physically attractive, then everybody is just going to be flocking to him because of his natural beauty, which is the problem with Saul and Eliab, Absalom, and all these other people. God wants all those who come to Christ to come to him by revelation, through faith. So as a result of Christ not being very attractive, he is despised and rejected by men. People reject and despise all ugly people. <laughs> okay? So a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief because of the rejection. And we hid him and we hid as it were our faces from him. We're like, don't show me that Jesus. It's too ugly for me. He was despised and we did not esteem him. That's the true Jesus of the Bible. So the conduct for David by his brothers, by Israel, by King Saul, even Goliath, see that in just that one chapter, the attitude that everybody saw in David. The brothers. Israel. King Saul. And then Goliath. They have the same testimony. They reject him. They despise him. So that is Christ being despised and rejected by men. Verse 43. So the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Goliath says, Dude, <laughs> be serious for once. Do you see a dog in me that you should come with these little sticks? Look at the simplicity of your weapons. That is, for who is, who are you come to fight? Have you come to fight a little animal? A chihuahua even? So now both the person and weapons of David are despised. You see where this, where this is going? The person of Christ and the cross as the weapon of salvation is despised by men. The person and his weapons. But in their simplicity is the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of Christ. The foolishness of the cross. The sufficiency of grace alone to bring victory to God's people through this one smooth stone. 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, but Christ will be cursed by God. But do not miss this connection. The fight is about to happen. David must be pronounced cursed as he goes to battle. As Christ will also be pronounced cursed as he goes on the cross. David is cursed by Goliath. Christ is cursed. And yet, as soon as they get to the fight, they both win. Verse 44. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I could even picture Goliath just beckoning to David with his hand. He's like, come here, little boy. Come to me. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air. I'll kill you and leave you hanging to be food for the wild beasts. Let's see. What happened? Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David said, You come to me with the trinity of weapons, the sword, spear, and the javelin. And that is all good. But I do not war that way. You have too many things that are using to war. And religion is like that. It will give you a lot of weapons. It will get you busy with stuff. And you think you have victory. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel. You see the simplicity of that? I come to you in the one name. That's my only weapon of war. I come in his name. The wars of salvation are in the name of the Lord. The Lord of hosts. They are in the name of the Lord. In Isaiah 43, 25, this is what God said with respect to salvation. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, for my own name, or for the sake of my name. And I'll remember your sins no more, or I will not remember your sins. For the sake of his name means for the sake of his reputation. God has such a high sense of himself that he cannot fail. He will not fail for the sake of his own name. So the Lord has gone to war with Goliath and blotted out our transgressions. He has gone to war with sin. He has gone to war even with the law and fulfilled every jot and tittle that the law required. He went to war. 
So to go to war in the name of the Lord in the matter of salvation is to go in the name of Christ, in the merits of Christ, his power, his righteousness, his blood, his cross. That is how you go to war. And the end of it, God said, and I'll remember the sins no more. He said, I will remember the sins no more for my sake, for the sake of my name. I'm not remembering your sins. When did he do that? When does God begin to forget your sins? Is he doing that every day a person comes to Christ? Or I was remembering Sean's sins last week. I'm going to forget them this week because I think he just learned something new about Christ. Is that how it works? That statement was spoken in the collective. I will remember their sins no more. Their sins collectively as his people it's a one-time judgment that happens and all the sins are forgotten. It is not when people come to faith that their sins are forgotten, but when David went to war. Because when he went to war, he went to war with the sins of all his people imputed to him. And that is Christ. Remember, the warring here is not really about the physical war. It is the war of salvation that is looking to Christ. So when Christ comes, he is not coming to war with an army to defeat the Romans. He is coming to war in the matter of causing our salvation. So when Christ was crucified, that is where his people's sins were forgotten and they were justified from them. When he was crucified, that's when the fight was done. Everything was settled there. It was wiped clean. The slate was wiped clean there and then. So justified in that. Hebrews 10, 17 and 18. The rest says, and he adds, this is a quotation from Jeremiah 31. I didn't want to go read the whole thing. But it says, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. See that remembrance or no remembrance of your sin is connected to remission and the offering of sin. So the offering of sin, the death of Christ, had two things that it caused. It caused the cancellation of your sin and the non-remembrance. Sin cancelled, sin forgotten by the offering of Christ. 
That is the cause. And that's the immediate effect of the death of Christ. No remembrance of sin. Because it's cancelled. God does not remember our sins. But we do remember them. Why? Because we are not God. <laughs> because we are doing them in time. Kettling is not 25 million years old. She just showed up a few years ago. So she has to experience a sin in time. But the matter of a sin as a transaction was already done when the Christ went to war. So God does not remember a sin. But she experiences a sin in time. So I have to help her by God's grace and the Holy Spirit. To say, Kathleen, it's well between you and God. Why? Because God does not remember your sin. So did not be so distraught to the point that you cease to function. Because there's nothing that you could do yourself to remove your sin. You can only go to the testimony that God does not condemn you for your sin. That's basically what that is saying. It is not saying that God has suffered memory loss. He's saying he does not condemn you for your sin it's like it doesn't even exist before him because of what Christ has done. He doesn't remember your sins anymore. Verse 46. Verse Psalm 17. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll strike you and take your head from you. And this I'll give and this day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David said this day is when this will all happen. So there's a day appointed for this to go down. You shall be delivered into my hand as to kill you and will strike you and will take your head from you. You said you will give my flesh to the birds of the air and the wild beasts. Guess what? I will not give your flesh to the birds. But the whole flesh of the camp of the Philistines to the wild beasts. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. In other words, the Philistines must be destroyed, all of them, for the sake of God's glory. And for his name to be known across the nations as it is today. And that you say, the matter of the gospel is for the name of God to be known. Christ Jesus to be known on the earth. As he by the nail-scarred hands delivered his people from sin and death. David says, this day the Lord shall Deliver you into my hands. You have to be delivered into the nail-scarred hands. Let's <laughs> speaking to the cross. Delivered this day, Goliath, the Philistines, delivered into the hands of David, of the son of David. And they are brought to nothingness. And that is say the power of God cannot be known apart from salvation. 
from the Philistines or from the Philistines and their destruction. The salvation from sin, death, and condemnation. So to say, sin is part and parcel of how God determined to be known. Sin did not just happen to happen. There's a purpose that the Christ who comes to deliver it, deliver you and me from it, will be exalted for his work. Verse 47. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not serve with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. The battle of salvation is the Lord's and that is to say, as with Jonah, salvation is all of the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, but, my, but, my, but by my spirit, say, says the Lord of hosts. The Pentecostals love that verse. And by that they're speaking the power and spirit to speak in tongues and be chasing demons and stuff like that. But that's not what God was talking about. But David says something that is very important. He says, the whole assembly of God's people should have this same testimony. That the Lord does not serve with sword and spear. Not by the power or works or will of man. God does not deliver anyone by anything that you do. It's all of him. Is all of him. The whole assembly of God should have the same testimony that salvation is of grace alone. That's what he's saying. Salvation is of grace alone, through faith alone, but then people make faith more than what it is. Faith is not something that you're causing in yourself or something that causes something. Faith is an acknowledgement that all of salvation is by God alone. That's what faith is. It's all of God's doing. Okay? People think, oh, I have faith, I'm going to go and do stuff. No. In the matter of the gospel, faith is not something that is apart from grace. It's just an acknowledgement that all of salvation is of Christ alone. Yeah? Verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. David with the sling and the stone slew Goliath and he fell on his face to the earth. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his ship and killed him and cut off his head with it. Now to the question of what did David do? Do you see that there's a progression that is happening here from when David was introduced to us, coming to his brothers. The conversations that have happened in between. Now, the culmination of the conversation was in the fight with Goliath. 
and something happened in the fight. David accomplished something. He defeated the Philistines. He killed Goliath. And that becomes the basis of his exaltation to be the next king of Israel. The text says, David prevailed over the Philistine. That's what he accomplished. But how did he do that? With a sling and a stone. And the sling would have been of a Y-shape. There are different versions of it depending on the culture. But I would suppose, like the one that I used to make growing up, from a piece of wood, and tied to it was a band that was loaded with a stone. Okay, and could have been a different contraption. If you go online, you're going to see different contraptions. But I'm suspecting that the Y one is a more common version. And that part of the tree was a picture of the cross. And what came from it, what was carrying that, sorry, what was that thing carrying? It was carrying a stone. That whole contraption was carrying the stone that caused the salvation. And that stone was a picture of Christ. The stone of stumbling the rock of offense. Because it is he who caused salvation. It is that stone that knocked Goliath down. So it is Christ who was in the power of the smooth stone. I mean, these stones, they're not weighing that much. For them to fit in the sling, it's not too much of a big rock. The power is not coming from the physical rock. The power is coming from God. Okay? And with it, David struck and killed Goliath. That is what he accomplished. He accomplished something. And that is the gospel declaration to those of Israel who did not go to the battlefield. Because not all of Israel came to the battlefield. They had the news of what happened at the battlefield. So what did they hear? They heard that David had prevailed over Goliath with the simplicity of the sling and the stone. And everybody was amazed. How could he do that? How could he have done that? How do you kill the person of the stature of Goliath with the simplicity of a sling? You could kill one or two birds with it, but not Goliath. So therein is the simplicity of Christ and the offense of Christ. Because Saul is going to get mad when the women of Israel come and start singing about that. They say, oh, Saul killed his 1,000, but David slew his tens of thousands. <laughs> David, the Texas, accomplished all this without a sword in his hand. David accomplished that without a sword in his hand. The Philistines were slaughtered. They were looted. They were made a public spectacle. 
This is what David accomplished. So in the matter of gospel preaching, we can't just say, oh, Jesus finished it. What did he finish? He accomplished redemption. What does that mean? What did he actually do? What does it mean? It should not be too hard to say if you know what Christ did. It's not hard to say what David did. He killed Goliath. How did he do that? With a sling and a stone. So the whole development of the story was leading us to the simplicity of the person of David. And his method of bringing salvation to his people in the face of the fearsome Philistines. And so in David was the humiliation of Christ, but fundamentally the simplicity of Christ. Right? And we see this in the trial of the Lord. Remember Peter drawing his sword and cutting the right ear of Martha's, the high priest servant. Yeah? But Jesus came and rebuked Peter and said, No. Put your sword back into its sheath. I'm not. You might not to drink the cup that the Father has given me. I'm not going to war this way. I'm not going to use those kind of weapons to accomplish your salvation. I'm going to go to the cross with the simplicity of the instruments of David. The sling and the shot and, and the stone. Put back the armor of Saul. I don't need it. It is too heavy for me. Let me fight the way I know how to fight. Verse 50. Let's go back to verse 50 again. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. That is very telling of what God is teaching us. Why would God emphasize that point? That there was no sword in David's hand when he slew Goliath. That is saying the cross of Christ, the person of Christ, accomplished our salvation with the nail-scarred hands. He did not have any natural weapons of all. But all that was against us, all that was against Israel, the Philistines, represented especially by the person of Goliath, was cut off. The head of Goliath was cut off. That was the immediate effect of the work of David on behalf of Israel. The head of their arch enemy was cut off. In other words, to remove the power of condemnation from all that which was against them. When something has been cut off, it means the power has been removed. And so we see the head of who? Of John the Baptist being cut off by Herod. Also, to say the end of the law, because John the Baptist represented the law, he was a Levite, right? The son of Zechariah, the father was a priest. So John the Baptist represented the law. And when Christ shows up, his head has to be cut off to save the end of the law. So David shows up. Goliath and all his threatenings, all his curses, they have to come to an end. And so his head has to be cut off. The end. 
of everything that was against you happened when Christ showed up. When Christ died, it has come to an end. That's what Christ accomplished. Hear this. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ is the simplicity that is in David. His method of warring. Grace alone. The power of God alone to cause salvation. The end of all condemnation. Justification. Because if Goliath's head is cut off in the matter of the gospel, it means condemnation cut off. It means the end of the law. And there cannot be an end to condemnation and there not be justification. There are two sides of the same coin, right? On the side A, there's condemnation. Side B, there has to be justification. On the cross, Jesus is in between two thieves. One is condemned, the other one is justified. They go together. So once you come to the end of the law, there has to be justification from it. The law cannot end if you're not being justified from it. So the simplicity that is in Christ. And Paul continues and says, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And in the context of the Corinthians, they were causing poor trouble. They were receiving all kinds of people with all the foolishness that was happening in the Corinthian church. And there were some people who had risen up and said, well, we have a better gospel. We are the super apostles. Okay. Don't listen to Paul. He doesn't speak very well either. Okay. But Paul says, be careful of another Jesus. Be careful of a different spirit and a different gospel. Do not put up with it. Salvation is done already. Be careful how you are hearing. You have to begin to learn to listen with discernment. Don't just agree with people just because they are saying salvation by grace. Hear the details of what they mean by that. What do they actually mean by that? Goliath is normal. That's what we are saying. The Philistines are normal to condemn and to cause fear. They took off running. Yeah? They took off running. The Philistines, we're going to learn in the next message, they took off running and a lot of them were slaughtered by Israel. And God says the true gospel is the one in which you take off the armor that Saul has given you. That a lot of pulpits are busy freely giving or handing out to people to say, well, the law is the believer's rule of life. Essentially, you're just being given the armor of soul. That doesn't cause anything. The armor of soul will never give you victory over Goliath. It will still remain, keep you fearful. Yeah? It's too heavy to carry. 
And our victory was won without a sword, without a spear, without any human instrument of war. Okay? And so Paul concludes this way and we'll finish that way too. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because his burden is light. He doesn't give us the armor of soul to carry around us heavy for us. There's freedom because we're not afraid of condemnation. We know that Goliath was beheaded. The law is not our rule of life. or Yeah, the rule of life for the believer is not. In spite of all the accusations people bring against you to say, oh, you are anti-law people, you antinomians and stuff like that. That's just hot air. Those people are not even keeping the law. <laughs> we were called for freedom. We have the freedom. We have to walk with the knowledge of that freedom. Okay? And that's the testimony of David. And his weapons of war, the simplicity of the sling and the stone, to say it's all of grace. The foolishness of it. You can't knock a giant like that with just some piece of stone that you picked up from the river. The simplicity of the cross. The Christ going in there without any visible weapons of war and yet accomplishing our salvation. Okay? That's the gospel that is finished. Armenians say it's finished. Reformed people say it's finished. Sovereign grace people say it's finished. But listen to what they're saying. The majority of them don't even have a finished gospel. It's still conditioned on something that you and I do. And that cannot be. But God be praised for his testimony. We are done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for this day. We pray uh, that you cause your people to glean some of the gospel testimony from the story of David and Goliath and how he slew Goliath with the simplicity of the sling and the stone and how he refused to walk or to go to war with the heavy armor that was given him by Saul. And Lord, some of your people are still carrying the heavy armor. They need to drop it. May you cause them to see that it is heavy. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength to speak. We pray that you continue to open more gospel nuggets for us to feed on. We honor you, glorifying in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good people. We'll see you later.